Hello and welcome to here's at Johnny's reviews and the summer of super rose on with my look at the Captain America movies from Chris Evans to Matt Salinger. And this podcast I'll be looking at the last movie before the Avengers assembled with an unsure lead and a hundred and forty million dollar budget that pulled in. Three hundred and seventy million. Here it is, Captain America: The First Avenger. Even though this was the last one to come out, and I will save you the time and the effort of listening to the director's commentary, as you will only learn three things: one, everything is green screened as much as humanly possible; two, Chris Evans is a great athlete; and three, Haley Atwell couldn't keep her hands off Chris Evans's body. So, with that, let's jump into this movie. Starring Chris Evans, Haley Atwell, Sebastian Stan, Tommy Lee Jones, Hugo Weaving, Dominic Cooper, and of course Stanley Tucci, directed by Joe Dante. The plot: During World War II, the U.S. military turned a skinny weakling with a big heart into a super soldier named Captain America. As is happening, a mad Nazi general turns himself into the Red Skull using the power of the Tesseract. Can Captain America stop Hydra and Red Shield, the Red Shield, the Red Skull, from taking over the world? So the movie opens up, as it all do, on Marvel flipping logo pages type thing. Then straight into scenes that looked like they were taken out of the thing, as men in Arctic wear find a ship buried in the ice inside inside, inside even, said ship is Captain America's shield, and cut to a flashback, well no flashback, is cutting to 1942 Norway, as outside a church we meet Johan Schmidt, played by Hugo Weaving, of the Matrix movie, Lord of the Rings movies, Hobbit movies, and Viva Vendetta, a movie which I have covered several years back, check my archives, he's looking for the Tesseract, but the old tower keeper, played by David Bradley, Doctor Who 1, Mark 3, tries to keep it from him so he has his assistant killed. Then, in a nod to Indiana Jones, he finds a cube from Dead Knight inside a coffin. It is fake, so he smashes it. Killing the old man, he steals the cube from its hiding place which is from a huge, elaborate wooden carving of a tree of life. <coughs> and note. That Tree of Life was a real carving. However, the tank and the car was not. Cut to New York City skyline, circa 1940s. And a medical waiting room of the local army recruitment office. And here we meet, quote, skinny Steve Rogers, plays by Chris Evans of Fantastic Four movies, TMNT, Push, The Losers, and Spot, Spot. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and of course the Avengers movies, as you can see. He's no stranger to comic movies, and indeed had to be talked into taking the role by Robert Downey Jr., and indeed the producers. So, the pale, skinny, health-ridden body of Steve Rogers tries to sign up for the army for the umpteenth time, unsuccessfully trying to follow in his father's footsteps, uh, he is also, by the way, well too short. He's like 5'5", five five. and after the super soldier serum, he's turned into 6 feet 1, but I'll get back to that later. On to Steve dealing with a loudmouth in the local cinema, as he mocks the newsreels about World War II. So, much like today's cinema goers, they will let the one loudmouth heckle the fucking movie. And if this is you, please shut the feck up. 
and let other people enjoy the bloody movie. Put away your mobile phone, stop taking fucking selfies, and for God's sake, do not answer the bloody phone. Nobody wants to hear your loud mouth blah blah blahing through the fucking movie. I mean, what really pissed me off was a few years back. I went to go and see The Artist in the Cinema, which is, in case you don't know, is a silent movie. And some person on the front row answered his mobile phone saying, God, this movie's shit, nothing happens in it. In a packed cinema with no bloody sound, this guy was inconsiderate and arsewipe, and please don't do this. Even worse, stop Snapchatting the fucking movie for fuck's sake. Just sit down and watch the movie and shut the fuck up. Jeez. Anyway, outside, Steve is getting beat up by the loudmouth, and shouldn't he be, oh, I don't know, drafted? He seems perfectly fucking able-bodied and about six feet odds. Shouldn't he be drafted straight off the bat? Uh, moving on, until James Buchanan Bucky Barnes, uh, played by S- Sebastian Stan of The Covenant, Hot Top Time Machine, Operation, and The Avengers Movies saves him. I love the fact that Steve uses a garbage pool lid as a shield. Subtle. And note the rejection letter states Steve's birthday is the 4th of July 1918. Also, it says he was rejected on the 14th of June 1945, but this cannot be, as this is only 1942, so someone don't fucked up there. Also, note the only interesting thing I learned on editor's commentary is how much time and effort went into shrinking down Steve as he was taking from all scenes and green screen and blah 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 blah, get on with it. Bucky then takes Steve to the Stark Expo, 1943, and note, nothing is real, it's all on green screen. Also spot the human torch suit behind the glass, is that a nod to Fantastic Four? Hmm. Also spot a pre-Clara, Jenna Coleman, as Bucky's date, Connie. Uh, as on stage, Howard Stark, Mark III, played by Dominic Cooper of the History Boys, Mamma Mia, The Devil's Double, and Preacher shows off a flying car and using prototype repulsor technology that Iron Man uses to fly. Steve's getting the word of his girl, so sneaks off to our recruitment office to sign up yet again. We'll try to sign up yet again, even Bucky chews him out for trying again, but Steve believes himself and just needs to prove himself because America, fuck yeah! As this is happening, Dr. Abraham Erskine, played by Stan Latucci of the Hunger Games movies, the core, Devil Wars Prada, and Bojack Horseman overhears this argument. And handy that, the one person that can actually change your life just helps walk past as your best friend, choose out for wanting to join up and not want to be a factory worker scrapping metal because he's too short, skinny, and indeed riddled with illnesses. Handy that. Anyway, Steve is caught lying on his fourth or fifth forum and thinks he's busted until Dr. Erskine introduces himself to him, asking Steve if, quote, he wants to kill Nazis, with Steve saying no, he, quote, hates bullies of any kind. With that, he's signed up. In an unnamed location, Red Skull gets Dr. Zola, played by Toby Jones of Hunger Games movies, Harry Potter movies, The Mist, a movie which I've covered, check my archives, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, to crack the secrets of the Tesseract. And note, Dr. Zola's first introduction is a nod to the huge head on a robotic suit. Red Skull pushes Dr. Zola into opening the Tesseract's power, storing it to be used for weapons.
and just what the hell was Odin and or Thor doing? If they couldn't detect this power surge, it took them 70 years to find out where the Tesseract actually was, really. Dear, dear. Back with Steve at the army training camp and introduction to Agent Piggy Carter, played by Haley Atwell of, well, MCU stuff and that's about it. And also the now cancelled Agent Carter TV show. One little thing here. It was very, very rare for women to have power in the military in the 40s. Um, let alone running an entire joint military secret service. Hell, not even the Queen of Britain um, was allowed to fight in the front lines. I mean, she was a mechanic, I believe, and she had to fight to keep that post. Let alone having Peggy running on the front lines, shooting at Nazis. Tad much there, but it's moving on. A loudmouth soldier questions as to why he should listen to her, so she smacks him in the mouth. Yeah, because that's how you deal with somebody you don't agree with, smack him in the mouth. Yeah, feminist power. Uh, <clears throat> Up walks Colonel Phillips, uh, played by Tommy Lee Jones of Men in Black Movies, Batman Forever, a movie I covered, check my archives, The Fugitives and Small Soldiers. After a quick pep talk and montage of Steve failing at almost everything, fact everything we see steve is a smart brave man and has no quit inside him therefore he is the chosen one even after all of that colonel phillips still grapes with how he's pale and skinny and blah 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 so dr erskine shows why he picked steve by throwing a live grenade into a group of soldiers with only steve jumping on it as the rest of them run for their lives which I'm guessing is the right thing to do because you don't want kamikaze soldiers jumping on grenades. I mean, a late night talk between Steve and Dr. Erskine explaining why he left Germany to join the Americans. Also about his super soldier serum that it takes the good from the good and makes it great and takes the bad from bad and makes it even worse. He also explains how Hitler was big into the occult and he let Schmidt run Hydra, an off branch of the Nazis. The SS, I believe. Also, Dr. Erskine made Red Skull after Schmidt injected himself with prototype serum. Steve is strapped to a table and injected with serum and, of quote, Vita rays, i.e. electricity. And boom, Steve is now six feet one and built like a shipwreck house. Uh, back to the Hydra hideout, Red Skull puts a hit out on Dr. Erskine. In New York, because of course you know it's New York, because there's little boys playing stickball in the streets. And this is not Britain, as it was filmed in Manchester, Britain. Ah, uh, for God's sake. Peggy takes Steve to the secret underground lab to be transformed into Captain America. In the back of the car, Steve and Peggy spark up a romance. And also have a not-so-subtle talk about how he's still a virgin, as women don't want a short, skinny guy to, quote, dance with. Which is bloody true, actually. Nobody wants a short arse in this fucking world, bloody bunch of bars. Anyway, with Steve strapped to Howard Stark's machine, he can be injected with steroids and electricity, and boom, a superhero is born. A German spy kills Dr. Erskine and steals a vial of the serum, blowing up the lab. As he escapes, Steve gives chase. And why didn't the spy not steal the vial, then shoot Dr. Erskine and blow up the lab, escaping in the confusion? Oh, dear God. One little thing here about this serum. How does it give Steve height? I mean, it's designed to give him extra stamina, strength, and intelligence. 
and make the good great, etc., etc. But how the hell does it give him height? And how the hell does it does Serum know you're good or evil? I mean, uh, for God's sake. Anyway, Steve chases down a spy, jumping on the escape uh, taxi cab roof causing the cab to crash again steve uses something as a shield in this case it's a car door yes we get it writers he likes to use bloody shields follows him down to river and stops him escaping in a midnight submarine and note this mini submarine it was actually a real design by the nazis but was never actually built until this movie the spy kills himself using his poisoned tooth and steve it's turned into a showgirl because never mind he ran down a speeding taxi barefoot and single-handedly smashed a Nazi mini-sub to pieces, stopping the Hydra agent from getting with with the secret serum, what nobody has perfected yet. But he'll sell war bonds with USO girls because that's a waste of multi-millions of bloody dollars. I mean, they talk about how Colonel Phillips had to fight to get this Dr. Erskine experiment off the ground, yet he turns Captain America into a showgirl. Really? Back to the Red Skull, who kills Nazi generals for daring to question about Hydra and demanding to see his weapons. So with that, he test fires his new weapon, killing all the three generals. And oh yeah, the Red Skull gets his men to shout Hail Hydra, throwing both hands in the air. So they're now double Nazis and twice as evil? Hmm. Anyway, back to showgirl, quote, Captain America and his song and dance routine selling war bonds, war bonds even, by, quote, sucking old Adolf in the face, or Adolf in the face. And note, this was a nod to Captain America issue one, where he did indeed punch out Adolf Hitler, Adolf Hitler even. <laughs> this song and dance goes around America and Captain becomes famous starring in movies and this song and dance stuff goes on for like five minutes-ish could have been trimmed down I mean for feck's sake but I'm guessing this is the only way the producers could think of getting that ridiculous Captain America comic book outfit on the screen this is all fine and dandy until he heads to the front line to entertain the US troops who boo him off stage demanding to see the USO girls and I love the little drawing Steve does of, quote, Captain America, the dancing monkey. Pretty much what he is until he rescues the Howling Commandos. Peggy, who pops up from nowhere because she can track Steve somehow, gives him a pep talk telling him he's more than a dancing monkey slash lab experiment. He's Captain America, the world's greatest soldier. So... She also tells him Bucky's squad was caught by Hydra. So Steve butts head with Colonel Phillips, steals an outfit and a gun, and rescues Bucky's teams 30 miles behind enemy lines. One thing, who taught Captain how to shoot a gun, fight, and indeed ride a motorbike? Because wasn't he stuck in the star-spangled tights straight off the bat doing the song and dance routine for months and months and months? Who taught him to fire the gun? Hmm... Peggy gets Hibbert Stark to fly them in on his private jet uh, to the drop-off point, but Steve jumps out with the ridiculous diamond-shaped shield. As back with Red Skull, he now has his men slash prisoner of wars built his gigantic bomber he'll use to take out America. Steve sneaks on board a troop carrier uh, to Hydra POW camp, and luckily sneaks past the one in it guard where he finds and steals the Hydra Tesseract powered grenade and releases all the men. So the Howling Commandos are released and run amok escaping, taking out Hydra soldiers, tanks, etc, etc. Captain heads deeper inside to rescue Bucky, 
Luckily, these Hydra soldiers shoot like a Star Wars Stormtrooper and cannot shoot for shit. Red Skull sees this on CCTV cameras, really, CCTV in 1943, and starts the self-destruct timers to blow the base sky high. Zolar runs to get his papers as Red Skull grabs the Tesseract as Captain sees Zolar escaping his lab. Why not just shoot him there and then? So goes in to find Bucky strapped to a table. One quick glance at the Hydra map of Europe later as Captain gets Bucky out. The weapon factory blows up. Captain and Red Skull meet and have a quick scuffle uh, which knocks off Red Skull's mask showing his, well, Red Skull. He and Zola get away, Red Skull and his single propeller helicopter type thingy. And note again, this was a real Nazi design but was never actually built until this movie. So we'll get away in Red Skull's six-wheel Mercedes-Benz, which was not a real car and indeed wasn't based on bloody anything. Apart from, I think, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen car, which ironically was a real car and drivable. Moving on. Bucky and the captain escape the burning, collapsing factory, but captain is caught in an explosion. And is he dead? Well, what the fuck do you think? I mean, you can't kill your bloody leads 50 minutes into your hour or two hour movie for crying out loud. Back at the base camp, Colonel Phelps is writing up, quote, Captain America's condolence letter. And wait, was he actually given the rank of captain? Wasn't he just a showgirl? Now he's calling himself Captain America. Even the colonel calls him captain. Peggy and the Colonel butt heads over Captain yet again as P walks off the pals in tow. Pals being prisoner of war, because you know what pal means. And note the only Howling Commando you should care about is Timothy Dum Dum Duggan, aka Union Jack, one of only two, I believe, British Marvel superheroes. I think that's true. Union Jack and. What the fuck was the other one called? Captain Britain. He's played by Neil McDowell of the Arrow TV show. <laughs> Captain America gets respect from all the men, finally, because he single-handedly rescued 400 men. In Washington, Captain stands up the senator who greenlit the product to make him. Rude! And spot Matt Salinger of Captain America 1990, but more of him next, well, at the end of the month, <laughs> sitting next to General Stan Lee. And hello, Stan Lee cameo. <laughs> In London, in an underground British war room, Captain shows the locations of all the Hydra bases. Luckily, he had a quick one-second glance at that bloody map then, wasn't it? <laughs> Guess must have a photographic memory then. <laughs> Cut to a pub where Captain gets his team together. and walks Peggy to tell Captain Howard has new equipment for him. Cut to Howard testing a single cell from the Tesseract-powered grenade, which blows him off his feet. One cell can blow the man clean across the room, so what can an entire bomb do? The next morning, after some uncomfortable flirting with a random female officer, Peggy catches Captain and takes him to the Q-style lab. Stark shows him all the shields he has made for him, but Captain picks up the frisbee vibranium one and so an icon is now fully born. Stark tells him that's all the vibranium in the world, which is wrong. See Avengers Age of Ultron. Check my archives for that one. Peggy is still miffed with Captain, so she shoots the shield point back range to show off the power of the metal. And how did she know the gun was loaded and that the bullets wouldn't ricochet all over the bloody room, taking out fucking soldiers? Did. Moving on. And note, the shield is supposed to have the same bullet wounds on it forever, but I'm guessing the production assistant didn't actually notice that because it's not in any of the other bloody movies. 
Anyway, Captain gets his outfit made. Bright, red, white and blue. How very subtle. And then arms up. And cue a montage of Captain and his men taking down the Hydra bases. Really? They put this thing in a montage which lasts for two minutes of all the stuff that Captain does. Such as driving away from explosions and, exp and taking down Hydra bases. But they put the fucking song and dance stuff routine into the five minutes. Shouldn't have been montage. Oh, whatever. With all but one base left, Red Skull sets a trap for Captain on a supply train. And here is where Bucky falls to his death on to the frozen river to be turned into the Winter Soldier, but more on him next week. Zola is captured and spills everything and seeps into his shield, but again, more on him next week. Cut to Red Skull and his Hydra goons as he rallies them outside his huge bomber plane. Inside are single-engine planes armed with Hydra Tesseract power bombs with US cities written on the side of them. Handy that. Each plane with the power to wipe out that said city. As back in an all now bombed out British pub from earlier, Pegagon solves Captain over losing Bucky. In the war room, Captain wants revenge, so Colonel Phillips tells him Red Skull final base is in the Alps, and how the hell did he know that one? And he has less than 24 hours to stop him before he launches his gigantic bomber, which will wipe out the eastern seaborne in less than a few hours. Cut to Captain on his James Bond style motor spike as he's taking out Hydra goons. This chase is a little like the chase in Empire Strikes Back on Endor. Or is that Return of the Jedi? Whatever. Again, luckily for Cap, these Hydra soldiers can't shoot for shit as he flies in on his gadget ridden motorbike, taking out dozens of Hydra soldiers and then blows a hole on the front door, tossing his shield around taking out goons willy-nilly. And why does he do this? This is his only weapon half the time. And he just chucks it away. I mean, get in. He is captured by flame-throwing Hydra soldiers because, you know, Tesseract-powered weapons can't do shit, but fire! Ooh, scary. He's brought up to Red Skull, who then gloats in Captain's face as the Howling Commandos slide in to help out the Captain, smashing out the front of the... What the f... Oh, moving on. Again, these soldiers can't shoot for shit as Captain chases Red Skull on foot, but not one of them shoots him in the back. I mean, come on, really? On board Red Skull's gigantic bobber, Captain takes on Hydra pilots, stopping them before they take out New York City. And here it is. Captain and Red Skull finally face off. And note, the size of this bomber is huge. It is the sound of the it's the size of a soundstage and it's just as tall. And I believe it's a soundstage in the 007 soundstage. Therefore, this set must have been huge. Anyway, I love the subtle nod to Star Wars with the huge window in a single chair. How very Jedi. Anyway, Captain and Skull... Red Skull fight finally all over the massive cockpit, knocking the plane into freefall. Captain keeps Skull at bay as Skull takes potshots at him, so Captain throws his shield, damaging the Tesseract case, uh, casing. Skull, Red Skull picks it up and activates it, sucking Red Skull into space, not seen again until Infinity Wars. Spoiler. One little thing here, the Tesseract activates again, sending Red Skull into parts unknown. Didn't I get Thor's attention? Come on, that's twice in the same bloody movie. Captain radios to Peggy, who have to put the plane in the water as it's going too fast to land on the ice, but when I just land it on the bloody ice. 
He crashes into the ice and plane sinks, killing Captain. Therefore, he and Peggy can't do the last dance as the war is now won. Howard Stark finds a Tesseract underwater but can't find Captain only a few miles away stuck in the ice. Did he even attempt to find Captain America for fixed sake? The war is won. 70 years later, Captain wakes up in a S.H.I.E.L.D. fake hospital room dressed like it is in the 1940s. He spots the fake, runs into 2012 New York City, gets surrounded by S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, plus Nick Fury, again played by Samuel L. Jackson, telling him he's been asleep for 70 years. As credits roll onto real 40s propaganda posters about World War II. Thankfully, there's no end credit scene, just a trailer for Avengers Assemble. Isn't this whole bloody movie one trailer for Avengers Assemble? So that was Captain America, a by the numbers action slash war movie. Uh, what can I say? It's pretty much Captain America 1990, both a bigger budget and better acting. Chris Evans gives his all as the captain. This is just a whole excuse and the final stop at the Avengers. Much like all these Marvel movies, it's pretty cookie cutter and just same movie made over and over and over again. Or just an excuse for the next Avengers movie, you know? Good. The giant cash game. I'm going to give this thing a 6 out of 10. Anyway, come back next week for my look at Winter Soldier, and then Civil War, and finally, 1990's Captain America. Made by Vidal, Vidal Sassoon's son, I believe. And don't forget to share, like, and subscribe. Also follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pod. Email me with suggestions to Here's Johnny's Reviews at gmail.com. Uh, August and September is Superman. October is House of Ween, my look at the house franchise. November is No Scare Vember, my look at the scary movie, movies. And December is Festive Fear 2, including Child's Play. So, check out my franchise podcast of Iron Man, Blade, Mad Max, and more. Also, check out my solo podcast of Batman Returns, Electra, They Live, and many, many more. And uh, bye.